0: Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at VetChurch.com or RetiredArmyChaplain.com.
1: Hey, Vet Church. How y'all doing? It's uh, doing some interviews. Chris Leslie. Um... His dog, Zelda. Of course, you know I've got Link. So now we've got Zelda and Link, for those of you who are Nintendo fans, as I am. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Zelda loves me. Anyway, so uh, Chris's dad was in uh, the World War II. And um, Chris has spent his life as a salesman and a bunch of That's other right. stuff. And I, I asked you to do this interview because um, I think you've got a lot to offer in terms of a man who isn't afraid to take a chance. <laughs> I mean, you're not a gambler, man. I you, You're you not known for, like, dropping cards. No. But you, no. you've taken some gambles, some appropriate risk. You know, people tell me, well, be safe. And I'm hey, I've told you this. Right. You'd be safe on that motorcycle? I'm like, no, but I'll risk appropriately. Yep. Yeah. And I look at your life, <clears> not only have you risked appropriately, but we're sitting... That was one thing that I asked you to do this today about. And then we're sitting up in, what do you call this, the bird's nest? The bird house. The bird house. It's an addition to their house that they built for having parties, for for caring for people, for building community, and um, from football games, and you're uh, an Auburn fan? Alabama. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> but, you, but you've built community around the whole thing. And I love that because cause that's what Vet Church is all about. And and we need that in our society. So, so where are we going? To, where are we going to start? Because you've watched a few of these, you know what's up. Yeah. Where do you want to start, man? Well, um, I guess I'll start by making sure I got everything turned on.
0: Well, um, like I'm I'm one of seven. Um, uh, my twin sister and I were the last of seven. Uh, dad was 46 47 mom was 41 and you know one of the great stories that my oldest brother told me Rick now passed away was mom was pregnant she was about three days from giving birth and back in 1964 they didn't have the technology to really know they knew the baby was okay but they didn't really know she was gonna have twins so uh, my five brothers and sister uh, came home from school and about 3 o'clock, and what was kind of crazy about it, mom and dad were sitting on the couch, 3 in the afternoon, drinking a highball, and smoking non filter camels in the living room when they walked in, and that, that, it was very unusual for mom and dad to be drinking at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, especially since she was pregnant, but of course back then I guess it wasn't that big a deal, I don't know. But uh, Rick came in, my oldest brother, and said, looked at my dad and said, Dad, what's wrong? And he said, Dad took a drag off of his camel and took a sip of his highball and looked at them and said, Your mother is having twins. And he didn't, <laughs> they didn't know until two days before we were born. And my two dad, days? Two days before I was born. And Dad was a salesman. He was an ad specialty salesman, which is a very difficult business. I mean, basically, you're selling pins and change holders and calendars.
1: The stuff that, like, you go to the bank and they give you a little exactly. thing that you're never going to use. And, exactly. Right. But exactly. they're trying to get you <laughs> more business. Exactly. Yeah. So,
0: I think I really learned the the work ethic from my father. Um, you know, I used to see him struggle. Uh, I'd come in from school and he wouldn't get in until like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. He's been making calls all day and, you know, I'd sit there and see him writing his orders and triplicate until 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, forty-five dollar order, hundred and fifty dollar order, and you know, I saw the, I saw the stress that was.
1: Yeah, because that's before computers too. Oh so yeah, everything I mean this has to this is late. way
0: before that, and he, and I saw the stress that it imposed on him, and you know, I, I still to this day would say my father was the best salesman I ever met, and if he was alive during this day and time, he would have been a very wealthy man, and but I think he got into the position, where. All of a sudden, he had five kids, which was enough, and now he has seven, and I think it really held dad back from taking that leap, you know, to maybe go to another company to make more money or what have you because he now, knew that did, he had to protect his family. Did and take you feel care of guilty
1: family. about that or when you I say mean, not that. Not
0: at that time. I think the older I got, I did because he had a massive heart attack at 54, I think 53 or 54. Yeah. He should have been dead. And, um, and we, Tina and I were five, um, and it uh, put a lot of stress on the family. couldn't work. He was on disability. My mom didn't work. She was, you know, a stay-at-home mom. So I, I, I really started to under, understand what stress can do to you. And I saw it in my dad, but he lived another um, 14 years. So I feel I feel very fortunate that I have my father. And the reason I mention this is because he kind of molded me into who I am today. I mean seeing his work ethic, how he took care of people, how he respected people. And you know everybody knew him. And and one of the things about dad was he might not have known their names, but he always knew them, knew who they were, knew something about yeah. their family. And they might not have always known his name, but in the winter he wore a, a felt Stetson hat. And in the summer, he wore a straw hat, and everybody knew him as the Hat Guy, right? Because he always had the hat on. Always had a hat on, and uh, he wore
1: uh, like for, uh, you know. Because I mm-hmm. talked to some other folks that knew him, he mm-hmm. wore some crazy clothes. He was a sharp
0: he, he dresser. was a sharp dresser. Probably most people wouldn't have worn. I, I think one of the craziest things I ever saw him wear was uh, like a dark olive green pair of pants and a, a red checkerboard shirt. And, I mean, you know, just nobody would ever wear that. But Dad had his own sense of style, and he always wore wingtips. And I swore that I would never wear wingtips, and now I have two pairs of them. Rock on, baby. (laughs) And they're the most comfortable shoes I have. (laughs) But, you know, he taught taught me what it was like to be a man and to be able to provide. And, you know, I, I had a great childhood as far as friends, and, you know, I had a lot of family and what have you. But a lot of that childhood time, it seemed like it just flew by. You know, my wife Monica can remember when she was two, you know, three, four, five. I have very sporadic memories of that, you know, when I was a child. Not really sure why, like high school was like a blur to me. And, you know, I don't want to sound corny, but to me, I had a great life, but my life really began when I met my soulmate. When I met Monica 17 and a half years old. How old y'all been?
1: 17 and a half, so you've been married
0: how many years? Uh, 34, and it'll be 35 April. And she was the one that really uh, taught me how to love and to really appreciate a good person. And, you know, we met, uh, we both worked in the mall, I was working at Morrow's Nut, Nut House. And it was a it was a is real. Can, is that the candy yeah, nuts candy. with the? Uh, I was really what's good. What's the
1: stuff they put on the things? Um. Get your hot nuts here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I was I
0: was sitting on a. I, I'll never forget. It was a. It was one evening. It was about eight o'clock, oh and I'm sitting on a five gallon can of cashews, yeah. and I'm looking out through the viewing window, and all I can see is the midsections of people walking by. That was it. I was just so bored, and all of a sudden. I saw a pair of hips and a waist coming towards me in a skirt, and I kind of went, well, I think I might have some action here. So I stood up, and she came up, and I was just like, oh, my God. You know, she was just so beautiful, and she looked like she was 20, looked very mature, you know, and I was this little kid wearing a smock, you know, or whatever. And she said, I'd like a dollar's worth of chocolate-covered almonds. I said, sure. So I went back, and I had a little bag, and I was stuffing them in there. So it's like that full. You wanted her that's to about, come back. Yeah, that's about $5 worth, and I gave it to her. and You know, I hit the old-timey cash register, 106 please. And she said, are you sure that's a dollar's worth? I said, it's my dollar's worth. So I gave it to her, and when she walked off, I watched her walk down the mall and go down the stairs into Kenny's Shoe Store so I knew where she worked. And then from there, I did a little bit of quasi stalking. <laughs> I'd go no, hang- but This
1: is what you got to do. You got to.
0: <laughs> I- I'd go out and hang out with my buddy right across from uh, Kenny's, who used to make keys, you know, little kiosks. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. And
0: I'd sit out there and smoke cigarettes and look in at her and try to be cool. And she'd look out at me and go, what a jerk. You know, I'm sure that's what she was thinking. But, you know, that's when it really started. And, you know, we became really close. Uh, We started dating, and then Monica was going to school at South, and her grandmother uh, and grandfather lived in Birmingham, and she loved them. They were kind of her parents, if you want to uh, lack of a better term. And she really wanted to get up close to them. They were getting older, so our life kind of began from there. And uh, Monica transferred to UAB, Birmingham, And uh, I packed up a small trailer, a little U-Haul, the smallest enclosed trailer you could have. And, you know, to tell you what a terrible son I was, um, the day that I left, my mother was having, uh, coming home from open heart surgery. And so my mom was walking in the door in her little robe, and I'm walking out. And she goes, where are you going? I said, I'm moving to Birmingham. She goes, What are you talking about? I said, I'm moving to Birmingham. Monica's going to school up there. I kissed her and I turned around and she was sitting there just crying, you know, like, My son's leaving. But I mean, that was it. I was 18. I graduated from high school and I was going on to start my life. I moved up there without an apartment, without a job. And uh, we were lucky enough to find a basement apartment two doors up from her grandparents, red carpet. I mean, it was nice. And uh, really small. But um, I got a job at uh, my, brother, my brother's um, in-law, Mr. Wall. He had a, um, called Salvage Supply Company. It was a, basically it was a junkyard. And they had everything from lead-based paint to, uh, you know, everything that you shouldn't have. We had it. And, um, you know, I, I made minimum wage. And uh, Mr. Wall uh, would let me stay late on a Saturday so I could make a bonus. And my bonus was, at the end of that hour, hour and a half after we worked, he'd say, "Go to the Coke machine and whatever changes in there, that's your bonus." So some days it'd be 10 dollars, some days it'd be five, some days it'd be 20. But I worked there for about a year, and that's kind of where I got my feet wet as far as being out on my own, had to pay for my apartment and everything else. And then I kind of lucked up, went to work for a company in Birmingham, and it was a uh, it was a continuity based program. But
1: well, real quick now, mm-hmm. just to I don't want to go on, but yeah, no, I do want you to go on. Yeah. I, I really do. Yeah. I, but I want to like hit a couple things real mm-hmm. quick because like it's it's you know, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking a lot of folks have <laughs> PTSD, have moral injury. Right, they come back, like I did. I mean, you saw me. so yeah. I mean, yeah. you are my uncle. Yep. Via marriage. And, um, and, and it's strange because, like, you're my uncle, but you and I have had a lot of conversations. Right. Where we have a lot of the same thoughts. And you saw me pretty much sitting on a couch for three years, drugged up. Yeah. Thinking I'll never be able to do anything again. Yeah. And, like, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because not only can you do something again. Yeah. But look what people have done. And that's, you know, and you said to me, why, why should I do this veteran interview? I said, because what, some of it's because of what you've done. Right. And so what you're saying is like from the very beginning, you just, you had to move. Even if it meant your mom crying right after the hospital thing. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. But you had to move to save yourself. Yep. To move forward in your own life, you had to move. Sometimes with moral injury and PTSD, folks just need to pack up and move. Yep. Sometimes when you're stuck, you need to move. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're driving around the country is because I can't do what I want to do in the middle of Baker, Florida. Right. right. So, so I, I wanted to hit that real quick mm-hmm. because that's what you're saying, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just felt uh, compelled to, to, to leave. You know, I mean, I, I had always said that I was going to leave when I graduated from high school. And I really didn't have a lot of interest in going to college as Monica did. You know, that just... I wasn't a very good student, not because I just didn't really apply myself. I just wasn't that interested in it. And I kind of always knew in some capacity I'd be in sales. I just kind of knew that, and I think that comes from my father. Um, You know, so, yeah, but that's when I didn't want to be under um, the thumb of my parents. and They were great parents, but I'm just I just didn't want to be under the thumb. I wanted to go out and do my own thing. I wanted to start my life with my wife. Or my girlfriend at the time.
1: Well, and you know, it's you, kind of foreign these days. But, but, yeah. but when you say that, like talk about being under a thumb, mm-hmm. I immediately thought about me being on a social security disability. I remember mm-hmm. I came over to you and I yeah. was like, hey, man, with my retirement, plus this extra $16,000 yeah. a year or whatever that my social security was, but the social security wouldn't let me do anything. Right. And I had to give all that up. I had to say, I had to write him a letter and say, no, yeah. I'm done. And yeah. I got off all this pillow pill, pill, and, mm-hmm. and I. And all of a sudden, I didn't have anything. Yep, but I was alive. All of a sudden, you moved forward. You got out from under whatever. Because sometimes, I mean, from from post traumatic stress to addiction to just being hurt. Yep. Sometimes those who are victims, who have been victims, stay there. Yep. And and you can. Yeah. I, I remember when
0: you called me and told me that you were you were doing what you were doing. You said, Chris, I'm. I'm getting, I, I got to do my thing, man. I can't just, he said, you said, I could just sit here and I'd be fine, do what I'm doing, but I'm not living. I remember the conversation and you said, I want to make a difference out in the world and I want to do my own thing and I want to play my music and I want to, I remember that day that you told me. And I mean, and I think that day when you told me that and the next time I saw you, you were like a different person. You think so. Oh, I know so. You were like a totally different person. I think that's when we really started to connect you know because i mean good god uh, we've talked about some very deep stuff man <laughs> Come on, you one. know and yeah, i mean have. and and it's but it's also great to be able to talk to somebody about that and not think for somebody not to think you're crazy right yeah because we have
1: weird thoughts all of us i think right? you know like uh like sometimes mm. i think of myself being a little on the twisted side yeah you are it,
0: <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. But but I, but then I think, but that's myself, okay. Isn't isn't that our entire society? Yeah. Like yeah. like even the people that we put up on the silver screen, yeah, go through pain, extreme pain, extreme pain. Like, and and um, but okay, so let's let's I you know I, I wanted to jump off there real quick because I wanted to to bring that again home to folks. You're in a bad spot. Sometimes you got to move. Yeah. So you've moved. You're in yeah. Birmingham.
0: Yeah. So I I was very lucky. I went to work with a company, and uh, it was a continuity-based program company that you go in and buy so much at a grocery store, and you get a five-piece place setting of stoneware or whatever. Anyway, good company, and I ended up working in the print shop. So I was in the printing business for a while. And then there was a subsidiary of this company called Innovative Marketing. Didn't really know what they did. But it seemed more interesting to me than printing, running a printing press. <laughs> so um, I went over and, and met the crew over there. And basically, it was a marketing slash uh, apparel company. And their primary focus was Ford Motor Company. And uh, in 1983, 82, Ford Motor Company really got back into the racing scene. And so we were the support mechanism for Ford Motor Company. We did all the apparel and so forth that went out to uh, the 6,500 dealers across the country. And we started mailing to retail to the general public. So we were in the mail order business way before most people were. Um, And I started that job kind of doing mundane stuff, pulling orders and so forth. Well, the guy that I went to work for came in, I think I was 24. He came in and said, Chris, I'm giving you a promotion. I said, oh, really? That's great, man. What is it? (laughs) Money, money. He goes, you're going to be the inventory control manager. I said, wow. So what kind of money? He said, well, it's not really any more money, but you've got a position. I said, what does it entail? So I had no clue. So he takes me out in the warehouse, and there's this huge office, and it's full of boxes stacked to the ceiling, and it was returns. He said, your job is to go through all these boxes and process them. I'm sitting there going, "Are you kidding me?" But you know, at that time, that was the job at hand. That's what I did, right? So I didn't complain about it. I didn't say, "I don't want to do this." You know, I just did the job, and he saw that in me that that if I had a task to do, I was going to accomplish the task. So that helped me. As it, and the funniest story is, so I'm the inventory control manager. And we would shoot a catalog. We'd have a photo shoot, and we'd go on location to shoot catalogs. Well, I'd never been on one. And Monica and I were laying in bed one morning on a Sunday, at 9 o'clock in the morning I get a call from the guy, Dick Castle. He goes, uh, hey, are you up? I said, I am now. And he said, <laughs> I need you to pack your bags and fly to Detroit. I've thrown my back out, and I need somebody up here to help me produce the catalog. So I go down to the airport, get a flight to Detroit, fly up there, have no clue what I'm doing, and the first door I opened, I thought, you know, I knocked on the door and I thought it was uh, Dick's room, I opened the door, and it's our hair and makeup guy, and and he was gay, and he opens the door and he's standing there in a pair of red, white, and blue uh, weenie bikini underwear or whatever <laughs> you want to call him, right? And I said, "Is Dick around?" He goes. If he's not, I'll find him. But anyway, so so my whole life, so my whole life changed from there on. Yeah,
1: because you're just coming from Alabama. I'm just you,
0: coming. I'm an Alabama
1: boy. Boy, we're 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 like in Alabama. We yeah, were, right, we were right. raised right to be mean, to be pejorative, yep. to yep. look at anybody that was not like us. Yep. And even if they, you know, like if you, I had friends that were gay, but they couldn't say that. Correct. Well, and they couldn't. And that, and that, so that must have been like you're about 24. And this is yeah. This.
0: And you know what? I guess, I. I it seems like it would have bothered me more, you know, because of how I was brought up. But, you know, once I got to know David and got to know, I mean, he was hurting. I mean, he he been through a rough, rough life, you know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, persecuted all the time. And and, but you know, so that's where that started. And just to make a long story short, I worked there for eight years. Um, you know, we were in Sonoma, California, shooting out at, uh, at the racetrack out in Sonoma. And, you know, Dick, my photographer goes, I need a biplane. The shot for the cu- back cover, I need a biplane. And I'm sitting there going, Why do you need a biplane? He goes, Well, it's going to look great, but I need a Thunderbird also. I need a 55 or 56 Thunderbird. And I'm going, What am I? And so Dick goes, Go find us a biplane and a 56 Thunderbird or something. Just go. So here I am, I'm 25, 26 years old, driving in a rental car, have no clue where I'm going. And I think this is where the good Lord intervenes, right? I'm driving back towards Sonoma, the town of Sonoma, and I look over to my right. There's these beautiful uh, prairies out there, you know, with the golden. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. And I look over and I see this hangar, right? I pull in there, drive up to this hangar, and there's a guy standing out there. And I said, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm looking for, like, some type of biplane, he goes, well, I happen to have two of them. It's a true story, man. So, he opens up the, the uh, hangar, and there is a biplane sitting there. And I look over to the right, and I see four or five cars covered in tarps or covered. There's your car too. So I said, you wouldn't happen to have an old Ford in there, would you? He goes, oh, I got oh a fifty. This is a true story. Fifty six Ford Thunderbird. He pulls off the, the cover, and it's a white. 56 Ford Thunderbird and nothing made me more proud than pick up that cell phone it was about this big back then big old <laughs> Motorola you know 30 minutes of talk the, time the
1: brick <laughs> yeah I
0: was like hey man you're not going to believe this I found a biplane it was like an hour and a half later but I mean it was just that really taught me the sense that if you believe you can do it you can do it and and I'm the last person in the world that would have ever been put in that position, well, but
1: made it, you know, made it happen. A couple of things happened here. First, you took the courage to move. Yeah. Then you moved out and took whatever job came along. Yeah. And then you moved out of your comfort zone, and you found that you could do some awesome stuff outside of a comfort zone. Right. Where you maybe didn't know even what a biplane was. Right. Like, really didn't. <laughs> you mean it with the two wings? Right. <laughs> like, I, right. But, but it's, it's, it's a trend. It's a pattern that happens over and over again in life. Right. Where you've gotta move. Right. I I think we call that faith.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I think life's about timing and you know, Monica could really talk to this as well. It just seems like every I always thought I'd be the kind of person like my dad that would work for one company my entire life and retire and you know what had five you? miles. Yep,
1: I'm not going any further yeah. than five. <laughs> and, it,
0: and it would and it would be safe. I mean, it'd be a safe
1: life. I could have gone trip to, work. to the Bahamas, back yeah. to the five miles. Right,
0: and I mean, I could have you know I could have gone to work for the government or the post office or whatever, but you know to me that wasn't as exciting. And I, I got to go places that I would never have gotten to go. Little guy from Mobile, Alabama, getting to go all over this beautiful country, London, Scotland, doing these photo shoots. I mean, the places that a 28-year-old at that time never got to go. But, you know, during that time, it was, we had our trials and tribulations, you know, just life in general. Monica had a great job uh, as a computer uh, IT director for a lumber company. And, I mean, I'll tell you, the first six, seven years, she was supporting us. I mean, she made a lot more money than I did. And that's it. A lot of people back then, that was a real hard thing to swallow, but it never never really made me worry about it. She never made me feel uncomfortable Hey, I know about all about it. it.
1: Until Kate quit her job, man. How do you think I was right. driving around playing music? Right.
0: <laughs> right. No, right. <laughs> no, exactly.
1: There is, you never can go as far yep. alone as you can with other people. I agree 100%. People loving you. I agree 100%. I mean, it's just, um,
0: so I mean that that was kind of the beginning of kind of our life, you know, we were in Birmingham and
1: um, And and you, you, you still stayed stay home base was in Birmingham?
0: Yeah, well I was in Birmingham for I guess we were there almost eight years, nine years. And
1: um, so you traveled for work and just yeah, would come home when you yeah.
0: could. and um, this is back before the licensing business was really uh, what am I trying to say? Um, it wasn't really organized. So, give you an example. You know, to do anything now, if I wanted to go out and do a uh, Kanye West t-shirt, I'm gonna have to get the right for, from Kanye and the rights to do that, right?
1: You can't just make them a vet t-shirt. <laughs> a vet, vet church yeah, could t-shirt. Do
0: a vet, yeah, a vet, ter- a vet church t-shirt. But there was a. At that time, this was in 1985 through 87. Bill Elliott was the hottest driver in NASCAR, and we were doing merchandise without any licensing rights.
1: Oh, his stuff. Like you are making money off his name. We were making money off of his
0: name and we weren't paying anybody. And his agent, of course we didn't even know what an agent was back then, his agent picked up the phone and called me one day and said, hey, uh, you can't produce product with Bill's likeness or signature without a contract. So what are you talking about? We can do whatever we want. We're doing this for Ford. He goes, no, you can't. He said, you're going to pay cores two percent. You're going to pay the rest to Advantage Management. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. And he goes, yeah, you are. So anyway, so I started learning the licensing business through that because um, we had no clue. Long story short, we did a, a licensing program with Bill and Advantage for two and a half, almost three years. Made them a lot of money. Made us a lot of money. Uh, And I eventually ended up going to work for Advantage Management and became a sports agent in the NASCAR industry for three years. And we represented five drivers, and we handled all their licensing, sponsorships, and personal endorsement agreements. And I went to 24 to 30 races a year. And my job, my primary job, because Bill Elliott was our main guy. We had Bobby Labonte. David Green, uh, a couple other guys. But my main guy was Bill. So my job was to go there and be Bill's shadow every weekend from Thursday through Sunday. So wherever Bill went, I went. If there was a, if there was a special appearance, I was there. And whenever Bill was with McDonald's he had, in his contract, he had to go to a McDonald's in the local area of every race on Friday night. Had to. Had to make an appearance. So, my job was to get Bill to the McDonald's, get him set
1: up. I can see it now. Come on, Chris. (laughs) Not another Sunday.
0: (laughs) And and he, uh, you know, my job was to make sure everything was set up, but I had to cut the line off, which was not fun because people had been standing in line for hours. And I was a guy that had to go out there and go, sorry, it's cut off here. But... That part of my life was very, very interesting because of getting to see the other side of that star lifestyle. And like you were talking earlier, you know, everybody thinks it's glamorous and beautiful and it's it's a lot of work for those guys. They go through a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, They really don't have a real personal life. So, you know, that was that was a very interesting time. So we moved, we picked up, moved to Nashville for
1: three years. So, I lived in Nashville. Well, I actually lived in That's Franklin, the only which was place the place I've never made any money playing music. I tried to bust nobody, ball.
0: does there? Nobody <laughs> makes any money, <laughs> no, they don't, unless you're a superstar. But, well,
1: yeah, I, I even on the street in Nashville, I, yeah, I do better down at the uh, I 10 rest areas, <laughs> <laughs> a lot better. So, <laughs> um, yeah. it is exciting though. Yeah, was, I, I remember, like when we got uh, Kate and I got married, and um, she, you know, she said, "Yeah, my my uncle Chris does this cool. He's got this cool job where they, he travels around and they see people and mm-hmm. races." And I think you were working for uh, Kudzu or something, wasn't it? Yeah, the that hats. was back. Yeah, that was back. That, that's a couple years down the road. Oh, down yeah. the road. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I was so impressed with it because Kudzu is his. For y'all who haven't made it down here to the South yet. Come on down and at least look around. You don't have to stay. It's hot. But there's this plant that grows everywhere. And like mm-hmm. Literally, if they don't spray some poison out every so often, mm-hmm. the entire south would be covered in this thing. Yep. It's invasive. It comes from another country. Somebody brought it over it's here. from
0: Japan. It was used for uh, erosion in the coal mines in Kentucky. So they would grow it over so... On top of the of the coal mines, they grow it on top to try to keep the soil
1: from going. Yeah. And now it's everywhere. Yeah. It's in the top of those you can't, trees well, you out can't, there right now.
0: You can't stop it. And, and I had a good friend of mine when I was in, lived in Columbus, Georgia, older guy, but just a Joe Passel leg. And, and one of the best jokes he ever told, he had a couple come up to him and say, because he hated people to ask him what he did.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, they came up to him. We were at a little party. And they said, well, what do you do, Joe? He goes, well, I'm a kudzu farmer. And as you can tell, I've been working my butt off. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best lines of all time. And the people just looked at me like, what? But, I mean, you can't That's stop it. Right <laughs> you, you can't stop it, man. No. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's I've had a pretty awesome life. And, and as far as up to that point, Monica was still working. She was probably one of the first telecommuters in the country. So she was... She was doing her job from Nashville, still being the IT director in Birmingham, which is unheard of back in the late 90s. Hey, when we got married
1: in, what year was it, Kate? 89? 98? 98, 98. Yeah, she's giving me that look, folks. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we got married, Monica was working from home, mm-hmm. and Kate said to me, we ought to look into some kind of job where we could just stay home. And of mm-hmm. course, I had that idea I was going to cut grass. And, right. um but you're right. I didn't know anybody else that worked from home. Right. I kept thinking, well, man, they, they shoot, you must have just scads of money. You can stay right. home all day. Right. And I remember we t- one time we came up and visited y'all. Yep. And, uh, and it was fun because you introduced us to hummus. Yep. yep. First time I'd ever ate hummus in my life. <laughs> this man right here. Because, you know, if you're from lower Alabama, northwest Florida, where the hurricane's hitting right now, um, or tomorrow, whatever it is. Uh, we don't talk about hummus very much anyway.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but if you, if you came to our house, there would be hummus among us. We,
1: we did have some. Yes, we did. And then we went to a real cool place and had some other kind of food that I'd never heard of. And yep. It was, I, I did. I, I remember thinking, and I kept thinking, oh, this is glamorous. And then we get up the next morning, and Monica's in here. She's got that old headset. I think. Yeah. Did you have that yeah. old headset thing on? Yeah. Oh, like, you know, from the movies, folks, where it's like going around, and, <laughs> and she's... I think it was an e-machine or something. You know, back in the day when the first computers were out, you had this monstrous computer over there that's working. I remember looking at it going, oh, that don't look like fun. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but it was work. Yeah, it was a lot of work.
0: And and I think the thing, Matt, that really um, the time away uh, from home, I mean, I think that was the toughest thing, and you and I were talking about it earlier, is that I'm the type of person that likes to have people around me. Um, And Monica, I don't know if it's been this way her entire life, but she was always able to handle me being gone easier than I was to handle being gone. And because she was always, you know, she always had something going on. But she always, I mean, she's gone for three hours now at the house. I go crazy because I'm used to having that constant in my life. And... And I think that's where to have somebody in your life that is able to handle that, a lot of people, and a lot of people say, well, maybe that's why y'all have lasted so long, you know, because, I mean, I, at, one, at one time I was probably gone 100 and, 126 days in a year, you know, traveling so 150,000 miles a year in a plane. And,
1: and let's, let's let's really push this a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, in the military, most of us went with at least a team of right half a dozen people or right. more. And sometimes there's a lot more. You knew people. right? You're talking about going by maybe one other person right. by yourself to some place, and you got to stand up and talk to strangers right. about a product that maybe at the time you don't even believe in. I know you believed in a lot of the stuff yeah. you did, but yeah. some of it you didn't. You, yeah. I mean, you couldn't have believed in well, everything.
0: And I, and I think that's one of the, you know, that's why they talk about salespeople, because you've got to be... You know, if I'm passionate about something, I can sell I can sell it. Mm-hmm. And and there was times that I wasn't as passionate about it, but my job was still to sell it, so I could sell it. But, you know, Monica, I'll come home from a trade show or something, and she just knows when I get in the door, because we talk every day and we talk at night and what have you, but she knows that I've been doing a pitch for seven days straight. For and it's eight, the same pitch. Same pitch. Seven or eight hours a day. I mean, eight to ten hours a day and you know you're just you're, you're not well you're physically tired cuz you're standing all the time but you're mentally just drained and that's where you get like you said come home and that's your comfort place you know you're able to come home and chill and then maybe you got to go back on the road in a week but at least you have that time home to kind of get grounded get your feet planted and uh it's it's a
1: uh... it's interesting to me too because as you know, my dad, right down here in Halls, uh-huh. lived on Halls Mill, uh-huh. and then he—he's um, an army recruiter, right here in Alabama, in in Mobile. Yeah. He won recruiter of the year for the Army Reserves five years in a row. Yep, yeah. some kind of salesman, you know.
0: Yeah, and, that's and,
1: selling, man. Oh yeah, because because like <clears> this is Gulf War time, man. Like he's talking right. people into going into the army. Yep. Yeah. And I and I watched my dad do that. And I know that it's taking something out of you. Just because of wa- mm-hmm. watching my dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what do you do when you come home, you've been doing this? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the anxiety? How do you deal with your anxiety?
0: You know, I really never had much anxiety uh, um you know, I always felt like I could uh, could deal with uh, deal with anybody, and I think that the last few years I've started having a little more anxiety about certain things. But it's kind of one of those things. Before you know, I get up and I'm feeling like God, man, I got to go do this again today, and you start feeling a little anxiety. But once I get in the role and get going, I'm fine. But I think I think one thing that a lot of people is misinterpreted about salespeople. Um, I think everybody thinks they're extroverts. Really we're probably closer to introvert than we are extrovert. Now right? an
1: extrovert is somebody who gets their energy from being around everybody. Yep. An introvert is yep. their energy from being alone.
0: Yep. And it's, it's kind of a, it's almost like a comedian, right? Everybody look at Robin Williams. Everybody thought Robin Williams is funny and he's laughing, he's having a great time. But when it really came down to it, he was not a happy person. He was hurt. He was hurt. And I think that I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm hurt, but I'm just saying I'm a little bit more introverted than most people believe I am. Like I can come up here and sit down and watch TV at night and just be by myself and I'm fine. But uh, I think where it gets me out a little bit of my uh, comfort zone um, is to go out there and and to sell and to... you know, and and I look at, I've always looked at it as my job. When I would go sell something, I always felt like it was a partnership with my customer. It's just not about me. It's about, I want that customer to be successful because if they're successful, in turn, we're all going to be successful. And it's, you know, you've got a lot of salespeople out there, man, you got to get this $85,000 pickup truck because you got to have it you can afford it. It's $900 a month, but we can make it work. <laughs> you know, I don't really think you have the best interest of that person you're selling. Yeah. Right? And somebody gets in trouble and they can't make the payment and they lose their truck. So I, I think my, my thing is, is, I always wanted to sell something that I felt good about and I thought that it, the customer would reap the benefits of carrying my wine.
1: Well, and I know now we've talked about this and you said, there's no way you're selling anything you don't believe in. Nope. Because we'll I, I introduced you to Dad Sauce and you yeah. loved it. Yeah. And, um, hey, Monica, you got that bracelet on? Kate, you got a bracelet on? Yeah. Come over here real quick. Y'all put your bracelets in front of this thing. You, you're now doing a line of bracelets, right? Uh-huh. What's it called again? It's called uh,
0: Bell Orion. Um, it's a buddy of mine uh, that started the company six years ago. And uh yeah. And I
1: will do that sauce too because
0: this is my favorite. Yeah, we need to have oh this right here. Oh my goodness. Yes. You'll never eat
1: ketchup again.
0: This is like the best dang thing you will ever for real. And the hot sauce.
1: And they are getting no money to say that.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not I'm getting no money. And you But gotta go, I, go I want to show I want
1: to show cuz you guys have designed these bracelets and you put some on me like when I go do shows and stuff now. Chris has given me stuff to wear and I'm going to wear it because it's my uncle. He believes in it. So, uh... Michelle. Michelle and Monica. They're sisters. Um,
0: So we've named bracelets actually and so
1: the Kate... Kate's got... Kate has a Kate. It's, it's called the Kate. The, the Kate. It is the is Kate. The, like the Facebook. No, it's oh. Kate, just Kate. Kate. Okay, right. but but she is the Kate. So. She, she is just, my just, the Kate. She is
0: she is or the I'm one her her and only Kate <laughs> that we love more than the moon.
1: But um, it's <laughs> the Michelle. Show. Right, my 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 and mother. now you see my steps. This is the mm-hmm. time and and what's cool about this stuff is it you like people so much. You and Monica have people up here, you love folks, and so what you've done is you've designed something to enhance life. There's plenty of jewelry out there, Mm -hmm. but is it always jewelry that says, this is an expression of where your people are at? Right, right. And I mean, the
0: core core product is uh, an expandable charm bracelet, which is, it's basically you're telling your story as a woman uh, very similar to a Pandora, the only difference is instead of adding beads and charms, um, our customers and the retail customers just keep stacking their sentiments. So they stack bracelets like K for Kate, and then she loves dogs, so she has a dog paw, and she's, you know, whatever. And it,
1: and it becomes part of their story, which Correct. is what Vet Church was about. And I know we had said something, and you are like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. you're kind of giving me the whole hum about mm-hmm. the app, because it's not an advertising thing. And right. you've been part of Vet Church from the beginning. Right. And I keep saying this is about telling people stories. I wanted you to talk about this. okay? Because...
0: Yeah, I mean, it it is a way to express yourself. Maybe somebody's not an extrovert, but but they want to tell you who they are. And they want you to say, oh, I love your bracelet. What is that? And they'd sit there and go, you know, well, well, I'm a dog lover. I'm a tree of life. I love my husband to the moon and back. You know, a pineapple. Whatever it might be. But it, it strikes up a conversation when the woman's wearing the bracelet. And it also makes her feel good. know, we've been doing it for six years. Um, You know, Rodney Reap, the the guy that owns it, is a good friend of mine, and I've been with Rodney for five years now. And, you know, it's kind of crazy how life just kind of transitions. Monica and I were living in Columbus, Georgia. We both worked out of the house, and we were doing different things. And I looked at her one day, and I said, what are we doing here? You know, why aren't we in Mobile? Let's, and we swore that we would never be. Because this is where you grew up. This is where I grew up. We, we were gone for 35 years. And I said, why aren't we down there? We've got family down there. We've got friends. You know, let's let's make a move. So we decided to move back. But when we did that, there was a prerequisite. And that prerequisite was we were going to work hard, but we're also going to have fun. We're getting later in life. We're both 55, 54, 55 and we wanted to make sure that we had, you know, some a place where people could gather. And the number one thing was is we wanted to have a, a home that people felt comfortable coming into, and they could be
1: themselves.
0: And, they, they can bring. And pain we've accomplished that. And everything. You know, and
1: that's the way we feel. But it's all about love. If you come yep. here and you're hurting, yep. you're going to get loved. Yep. And you may not be able to accept that love, but because mm-hmm. that's sometimes, you know, people that are hurt, it's hard to accept that somebody else loves you and cares about you, but. it took a long time. I mean, Mm -hmm. I came over here. You were like, "Come over," you know. Mm -hmm. Showed me a great time. I had an incredible party. But I come back like the next year, twelve months later, right? (laughs) Because I was all drugged up and I was hurting, right? But you always, you'd call me up and say, "You're still loved, man." We always want you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's that is a tough thing about love. But you've done that, and your friends, you got friends from high school still coming over, right?
0: uh, Actually, my best friend here is. I've known him since I was five years old, and he's about Matt's size. Maybe no, a he's bigger. He's bigger he's, than
1: Matt. This guy's. We
0: were, we were, uh, uh, we were both five eight in high school. We were two of the tallest kids. I mean, in uh, middle school, two of the tallest kids in middle school.
1: That's <laughs> not very tall in it, high school.
0: <laughs> no, middle school. And Tim, Tim moved to Mississippi, moved to Tupelo, and I didn't see him for three years. And when he came back, he was six foot three. It's all the stuff they were spraying on the crops. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. And so, and so, you know, the next time I saw Tim was for our wedding when I was twenty, and he was six eight, and uh, so I remember walking around the mall with him. I felt like he was his child. I was his child, you know. He's a foot taller than I am.
1: He's big. I He's wanted. Big. I really want to do a vet church interview with him. Were you able to get a hold of him?
0: I was, and he might be able
1: to do it tomorrow. Oh yeah. Uh, I got. Ooh, I yeah. got stuff. I got stuff tomorrow evening, but maybe. Yeah. We can get yeah. Whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh you know it's kind of funny all our all our pictures at our wedding are from the from the shoulders up cuz we had to get <laughs> Tim's head in cuz he's so tall you know? yeah. but when i got back and we had kept in touch but not really like we should have but it's amazing when you have those school friends how we just picked up like we had never missed a day we played golf every
1: weekend you know, you know we I just find, have a great I find time that it's like my friends that as i've got older Mm-hmm. The the friendship's more intentional. Right. right. You you, in, you in, you're intentional about what we're going to do, why we're going to do it. Like we're going to hang out and watch the football game. Yeah. And it's not really about no, Auburn winning.
0: No, it's not really about
1: that. It's but, more about just having a good time and <laughs> i just keep messing with you. Know? Me. I know you like Alabama. No. But but that's not about that for you guys. Mm-hmm. It's about the fact that you have a place and people come to you I mean, because I, I remember, like, when I was, even as I started getting off all those pain meds, mm-hmm. you said, um, just come over for a game, any game. Just mm-hmm. come over and sit here. And I did. We came over one time, and I'm trying to, like, process the whole thing, you know. And I'm mm-hmm. just sitting over here in the corner, and you got your friends, and, and I mean, it's a big group of people. Mm-hmm. And then you saying karaoke afterwards. Yeah. It was like, you know, the sermon and the altar call. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was great food. There was fellowship. Yeah. And, um, and yet you're a believer. Yeah, You believe sure. in Christ. You believe that there is this hope. Yeah. And there's purpose in our lives. And even when we die, for we all shall, yeah. it's not the end. And, right. and I love that about the idea that, that if you're going to build true community, if you're going to do something of real love, mm-hmm. it probably does revolve around folks that you know, folks that you're close enough to be vulnerable with, Folks, that, like if you got some problems, you can tell them, mm-hmm. and and it's okay. Maybe to have a fight or something once in a while.
0: Well, and and we've done and it too. Be
1: appropriate all of that.
0: Yeah, and we've done it too. I mean, we've had people that have come over. You know, some of them we knew, some of them we didn't know. A friend had asked if they could come or what have you. And I mean, if if there's not the right energy or the right vibe, we don't invite them back you know that individual person it's nothing against them personally but we don't want that vibe in our house we don't we want people to have fellowship well, energy and have a good time. very yeah.
1: contagious yeah and if you've got bad energy yeah yeah, yeah you just we don't want that. and I and, and we using the word energy because I don't know I really don't have another word for it with all right. the education I've been right subjected myself to pay for still in the student loans um, <clears throat> I think energy is a great word because it's contagious and it can sap people. Yeah, and and sometimes you just got to say, listen, I can love you, but right now you need to move over here. Right. And that's happened to me. I've been removed from the groups at times. Right. But when I found out what was going on within my soul, and I was able to get some things straight and come back, the restoration process can be even better than ever before.
0: Well, and I think one of the things that you said to me, you helped me a lot because I I grew up in the church. You know, my brother was a Presbyterian minister, and is. Is, a is. Presby- <laughs> is is a Presbyterian minister, and so I mean, you know, every day that the doors were open, you know, I was there, and uh, um,
1: well, you really supported him,
0: yeah, I, I did, and but but you know, You
1: do,
0: I do, but uh, you know, I think that when you grow up in the church like like we did. Um, we we felt like we had to be perfect, you know what I mean? You had to follow every day. And do, and I think what, you know, having discussions with you in the last five years, um, you know, you've really helped me understand that, Chris, you don't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And God knows I've done things that I'm not proud of, and, and he does know. Um, but um, I think we can always strive to be better and, and to... Uh, well, that's yeah. why
1: you know originally when I did that whole thing and I put, Vet Church up there, fed up or effed up, yeah, and and you know, in the song we wrote with, with those guys Mark Sherrill and Tebow Montgomery, we used the word fired up, yeah, because I I felt embarrassed about saying fucked up, right, right, but I've always left it effed up on there, fed up or effed up because, we live in a world that is looking for something that's real. And I think Christians often are like, "Oh no, I'm I'm perfect," right? And then the vulnerability is gone, and the humanity is gone. And because that, when you when you sap the humanity and the, well, what you're doing at the same time is you're sapping all the fun out of it. Then it's not okay to sit around with somebody and, and even watching a football game where community is happening all over the country. Yeah, is it this time of year? Yeah, okay. I You know, I'm not. Come on, man. <laughs> like, i are watching all this stuff. So anyway, football's going on, and, and people are rooting for their teams. They're coming together. They're sharing and caring. And say he's going out for the pass, and he misses it. He fumbles. Right. And the first reaction is like, shit. Right. Right. But if you're not vulnerable, you can't even say that because what if, like, Pastor so and so sees it. Right. Exactly. And then, and then you got to be thinking the whole thing like. We're not, you're not gonna one day be in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. God is yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And, and this idea of like when you look in the mirror and you see the image of God, well, you can't, you can't go to a football game with your friends and so community starts falling away and, and you couldn't dare to have a beer with your friends because what if you drank 20 instead of just one? Right. I mean, I've had a 30 yeah. beer night. night. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> right. I'm not doing a lot of that anymore. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, like it, it, we're human. Yeah, and if you can't, if you're not human, you don't need a savior. Yeah, if you're perfect, what the hell are you wasting your time for at church?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like I said, God knows, and thank God, Tim didn't know all the stuff that I did back when, you know, (laughs) I was sitting in that congregation that where I was the night before. But, you know, and he's the, uh, I'll never forget this. Oh my gosh, I felt so bad. My buddy and I were sitting in the back of the, the old congregation. Back, We were actually sitting in the kitchen at Coddshill Presbyterian Church. But they opened that up during the, ser- during the uh, service, and we were talking. I'll never forget my own brother, uh, in the middle of his sermon, called me out. And uh, he pointed at Paul and I, and he goes, Chris, is there something that you guys would like to share with the congregation? <laughs> now, I'll tell you one thing. My dad was up in the, my dad was in the choir. No way. And all I did was saw the look and I knew it was over, man. I'm like, oh my God. So I got home and I got my rear end worn out. I was like 13. I how, mean, he old, just, how
1: old was Tim at the time?
0: Uh, well, He's he was a couple of years yeah, older right? Yeah, he was you, right? young. I mean, he was probably 24, 25. And I mean, I got I my, it. I mean, my dad wore me out. So... You know, he wasn't afraid that That's what I always respected him, even though at that time I wanted to kill him. But he, it didn't matter who was doing it. He saw me doing it, and I was his brother, and he called me out, and I always respected that about him because, oh, yeah. I mean, I learned a lot from him just from that one instance. Oh, he's told me I'm wrong
1: on a couple of things. and yeah. it, it, But he always did it with love. I always knew he loved me. Yeah. And that's the difference between, mm-hmm. like, okay. I, I had a I had a a, a pastor growing up too, mm-hmm. and didn't treat me very well. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of love in the correction that was given, mm-hmm. and it angered me so much. That I started studying scripture, and you know that might be why I'm where i the today. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't done in love. The motivation right. wasn't pure. There wasn't like any like, "Hey, I care about you enough to say something." Right. And when I've had a couple of moments, Tim Leslie has said to me, "Hey, man." that's uh maybe not very godly, is it? Or, or right. wh- whatever it was, you know? Right. And, um, and I've, I've always respected that. I think it's a lesson that I've learned is I want to I strive for the idea of holiness, but yep. holiness is not being spotless and without pain and without brokenness and without hurt. Holy, true holiness rests solely in Christ. And the rest of it is just me being Matt. And like, do I wish I didn't say fuck as many times as I did? Well, I right. do. Right. I, I, I try to be clean. And, I, <clears throat> and, I, I, and you know, I, I've struggled. We've mm-hmm. talked about it. Mm-hmm. Where to the point where I thought, well, I shouldn't be doing this or anything else. And yet at the same time, like without sex, none of us would be here. And right. God is, is probably one of the greatest gifts God ever gave anybody. Yep. And, and yet at the same time, there's this group of there's this mindset of like we can't ever talk about it. Why? Right. Why? Because when we do that, we're turning something God made pure into something nasty. Correct. And it's not nasty. It right. is. It was meant to procreate, for enjoyment. Yep. For I mean, just talk about relief and stress. I mean, like,
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean,
1: like, it just it, there's so much good there. But it, there's a lot of things like that. Right. Um,
0: well, and and I think Matt, you know, I, I think that we. You know, for lack of a better term, I think people conform to society, right? I mean, we're told something's wrong. We gave you the analogy earlier, you know, about the kid getting on the coffee table and go, "Don't get up there." You know, so that kid from that day forward thinks that's terrible. Too, he was happy, and it's like we listen to what everybody is planning in us, and God, Monica knows, and God knows that I probably listen to too much media out there, and and they they are you know, warping the brains of, I mean, if you really want to look at it and, and people believe everything they hear.
1: Well, let's, let's, you know. let say this a little bit. You said okay. you're listening to too much TV. Yeah. Now, I mean, like we were talking about some guy, uh, Casanova, what's his name? Uh, Kavanaugh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was big Casanova. thing in the news. <laughs> 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 they called him Casanova. I, I don't know the story because I don't watch the news. No, right. I mean, right. The, <laughs> the, the, in, well, I don't whatever his, I just knew he started with an a Yeah. Okay. Um, but I don't watch the news. Right. And I don't watch the news not because I don't care. Right. But because I can't do anything about it. And these suckers, I, they just get my dander up. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a I'm a pretty liberal individual. Right. And I get, I get so angry. Yeah. And then I look around and guess who the only person in the room is? It's my wife. And so I'm dumping all this shit over on her. And I got nowhere else to go with it. I mean, I go outside and kick the dog or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, poor little Link, and dog's <laughs> flying. What kind of monster would I be? You know what I'm saying? Like, what do mm-hmm. you do with this anger? Right. And I meet people as I travel around the country over and over and over, and they're watching TV, and they're getting fired up. Yep. And I think the exact opposite of that is, like, calling your friends up and saying, hey, listen, they've got some great barbecue right down the road. We're going to have some barbecue. Y'all come on over. We're going to sit, and we're going to eat, and we're going to play Yahtzee. Yep Or whatever the hell it is People play these days Right And then we're going to Watch some TV We're going to play some music and we're gonna, What's that beanbag game Y'all got Cornhole. Cornhole Cornhole Play some corn That's the exact opposite Of giving all your Energy over To like Am I right about that Or am yeah. I wrong No you are Amen
0: brother I mean And I You know Monica's been pointing it out To me for several months Or a year Or whatever And you know and I guess that I, I never was that political for years until probably 2000, I guess, probably right after 9-11, that's when I got more, you know, looking at what's going on in politics. And, you know, you're exactly right, and uh, I need to do a better job of that. That's one of my downfalls, you know, and I don't I don't like it. But, I don't like it.
1: Hey, just be free, man. Like, recognizing that, like, that thing has got you, mm-hmm. it's not easy. Because I don't even know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know what's going on. And it's not that I don't care. But I got one purpose. I got 22 of my tribe a day killing themselves. Yep. I've got a world of people who only know about the military based on what some big corporation with millions of dollars is telling them. Yep. They don't know that this is the face of PTSD. This is the face of anxiety that sometimes I don't even want to get. I mean, like I know I'm driving around the country and I might look okay, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm hitting every restroom. (laughs) I can tell you where all the the rest areas are. I, you know, I told you like going before a show. It's like it's it's terror sometimes. Right. But I'm not gonna be chained. I'm not gonna be bound by anxiety and PTSD and, and I'm, I'm and I'm hoping that like that media doesn't bind you. Yep. You know how to have great parties. Yeah. I mean, I I'm serious. I was, remember the remember the thing we did at Christmas that one year? I mean, like everybody was here. Um
0: Dirty
1: Santa. It was Dirty Santa? Yeah, it was fun like uh, like this room right here was full. Of, it was hot, full. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. like uncomfortable, too many people. Yeah. And that thing went on for an hour and a half and it was fun yeah it was and um i found that you buy the little box of jack daniels with little things (laughs) very popular (laughs) um no but it was fun and i I remember thinking to myself it was before christmas because people travel yep and um I hope we're here i don't know if we'll be here this year but if we're not well yeah be here I mean, it, 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 it was
0: just it was just something different that we felt would be a good way to get everybody together and just you know the presents or you know i think it's under 20 bucks or something like that and but you know you can steal somebody's present and then it's just a good time and it's fun and everybody laughs and has a great time and we eat. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's what it's really all about. And I think that the older that I've gotten, I've come to realize that, you know, we're only here for a certain amount of time. Try to touch as many people as you can. Try to have as good a time as you can. And, um, you know, treat people the, the way that you want to be treated. And that's, you know, that's what we try to do as a family. And um,
1: So... I, you know, I I love that. I love it. I love it that you went out there and you made some money, but you lost a lot of money too. Sure did. So sure did. like, that's that's a big thing that. Um, and if you don't mind talking about this, Mm-mm. okay. So, mm-hmm. in our tribe, a lot of people feel lost. Like when I I left the military, I was making seven thousand a month,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and now I'm living on less than two thousand. Right. And um. And it seems almost impossible from day to day sometimes. But along the way, I've learned that at first it was the loss. The loss paralyzed me. Yeah, that's when I was suicidal. Then the drugs didn't help, but I I felt like I couldn't move forward. Now you've lost money. I mean, you've made. You work for NASCAR. You told me about talking to Jimmy Buffett and all these big time people. Whoever you just shared with us, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's NASCAR people that Mm -hmm. know. And and so you know all these folks and then but the markets turned you've lost a ton of money yeah what do you do when you lose Chris
0: um you know I I think it's you just got to pick up and move on and 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 honestly uh, it taught me some great lessons um, that you're not always as smart as you think you are Uh, you might think you're a stockbroker but you're really not Uh, but (laughs) <laughs> you know and then and then we've been in some business ventures that you know done that, that didn't go like we planned and but you know what again it was taking that chance right weren't afraid to, to go out there and take the chance and uh you know right now Monica and I are, we're living off a lot, heck of a lot less money than we used to live off of but I oh, would I say your cars are old. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you're yeah. like driving stuff like I yeah. drive.
0: Man. Well, I mean, you know, you know, Monica and I, when we came down here, you know, I told her I said, "Look, I don't want a car note anymore." You know, we don't, we don't, since we do work out of the house, we don't drive anywhere other than maybe going to the beach. Uh, if we do need to go somewhere a distance, we'll just rent a car yeah, for twelve bucks right a day, there. you know, yeah. or whatever. So you just kind of, you know, I, I kind of look at it. We're, we're kind of setting the, the path for the future where uh, we can get to a point where we can live, you know, relatively comfortable off of what we're making and, you know, Social Security, because you have to start thinking like that. And, you know, I think that back when I was 25 or 38 or 40, you know, having a, that car was really special. Sometimes practicality for for that reason. Sometimes because you just wanted a new shiny car. But I think as you get older and you start really realizing that that really doesn't matter. I just need to get it from here to the golf course and back. As long as it does that, I'm good. Or to the store. And um, so yeah, I think your I think your your uh, needs change as you get older. It's not what we were talking about today. It this morning. Um, you know, everybody. You see everybody out there running around. I mean, I just sit there and look at Robin Williams, uh, Bourdain, um, um, the other gal that hung herself, Kate Spade. Kate, Kate Spade. I mean, people that had what you would think were everything—money, fame, everything—but mm-hmm. it wasn't enough. No. So, well, in re- real pain. Real pain. Real. And but but deep. they did. But they you didn't see it. No. And that's the scariest part of it. Like when I when I saw you when you were, you know, on the medications, um I could see the pain, but I couldn't figure out a way to unmask the pain because it, it, I wasn't able to, you know, do that. But as you got off I, of them, I could hardly even
1: talk to anybody, right, you know. But, I mean, but
0: when you got off of them, it was like a totally different world, man, yeah. for for us. And I
1: didn't just quit, folks. I I went there were doctors that helped me. <laughs> You, right, you can't just stop. You, that'll kill you too. Right, right. And you have to have help. If you if you're on, man, if, it doesn't matter what you're in. We need help. Yeah. As a salesman, you needed help. Yeah. As as a person that's experienced pain, you got to have help it, on every level. And I mean, yeah. I just say that real quick. It's you got to get help. But the other thing about help is, you got to ask for it. We can't. You couldn't help me because I wasn't asking either.
0: Mm -mm. And I, you know, I don't know about those other people, but like you said, you got twenty-two guys a day, dying, committing suicide, that have come back, and whether they've gotten the help or not gotten the help, um, you know. I know we're trying out there, and I know you're trying, but that's just a. It's a scary number, scary number that what's happening to our our veterans and. You know, we've always been a huge supporter of veterans, and we salute the, the armed forces. We always have. And to, to hear that number, and I think it's something that needs to be, you don't hear it that often, but it needs to be repeated. I mean, people need to understand that.
1: I mean, that's crazy Well, you know what, what, what happens is in, in, in the circles of my tribe, our veterans' tribe, we're mm-hmm. a tribe, we talk about it a lot. But it's kind of like Christians with the holy huddle. God didn't say sit in the stinking church mm-hmm. building. Well, this is church right here. When you're with people of Christ, and, and Christ went out there. Christ yep. was in the bars, and the, you know the woman at the well had, yep. you know she was a prostitute. Yep. And, and the scriptures make this point of like, hey man, all these people that you look at might look at as dirty, yep. those are the people that Christ came for. The people that are clean and, and, and are whole, they don't need a physician. Well, I, th- I think when you really take
0: that number and you say twenty-two a day, it, and I was just thinking about this. I mean, you're talking close to eight thousand m- yes, men sir. and women a, a year. year,
1: and it's been. I going mean, on when you throw that number
0: now. out there, that'll I mean, now, blow and, your mind. And
1: what they're not also saying, Chris, is that half of that number are from Vietnam era folks. Right. No. It's not just it's not just us OEF OIF guys yep. and girls. Yeah. Or men and women, yeah, want to be congruent and respectful. Well, I think
0: I think what you're doing is, I mean, I've sat and talked to um, just impromptu, been in Home Depot or Lowe's or, you know, and you see, I saw a Korean War veteran the other day, and he was in a in a wheelchair, you know, in, in Home Depot in the line in front of me, and, you know, I just said I appreciate your service and shook his hand, and and we just started talking. And it was like he just was happy to have somebody to talk to. And it made, you know, it's like I said, it made me feel good, too, that I could hopefully make him feel good and respected. So, I mean, I think that, and there's so much knowledge, like you said, the World War II guys. And I told you earlier, I wish I would have talked to my father more about it. I just, you know, at that at that age, because he died when I was 19, um, you know, I just didn't talk to him. And he didn't talk that much about it, not because he, I mean, I don't think, you know, dad was never in, um Uh, The infantry. He was uh, in the Air Force and he was uh, a. He was Army Air Corps. Army Air Corps. He was the beginning of the Air Force. But, you know, it was just something he didn't talk about. And, you know, I'm I'm just so glad you're out there uh, with the World War II guys that are remaining. They're getting to tell some of their stories. And the Korean guys. They wanted
1: to. Yeah, Yeah. like, well, my dad from, you know, my dad wasn't in the Korean War, Mm. but he went to Korea. And now Korea's. Still at war because we haven't signed a treaty or anything worth this standstill thing. And my dad put up the money for that first album and would not, they put up half of it or something and wouldn't take it back. The other person that put the money up was, we had an agreement up front that I wasn't going to take. Right. But my dad refused to take any money back because he's like, no, it's important to tell, let people tell their stories. Because... Because the story isn't so much what you do in war. It's how you live afterwards. And you were the hope of your dad. I mean, you think about it. You know, they might have been sitting there having eyeballs going home. Boy, there's two of them coming. Yep. Um,
0: I saw a picture the other day of the, the guys in the, in the transport boats. And it's a picture coming down on them yeah. and going into um, um, Normandy. Okay. And you can see all their faces. And it was just like freaky, because you know that gates getting ready to go down, and they're running out. And you think about the courage that it took to do that. I mean, it just blow your mind, man.
1: Wasn't the movie? uh, It it wasn't Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it was. Was it it Saving Private Ryan?
0: It was. Yeah, I mean, it showed it was gruesome. I mean, it showed what really happened.
1: Well, and and it's like, and what, you know, like I I can barely watch military stuff Mm -hmm. now. But when I have a couple times, what. What struck me as that having been in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and Iraq, the smells not there, right. the heat's not there. Right. So for one of us, watch it. Like also, I remember one time Kathy brought out some chicken they were doing on the grill. I was working at Walter Reed, mm-hmm. and they we were in you know government dime, you know, right. <laughs> had a nice nice apartment, and they had a grill downstairs. So Tim and Kate, or Tim and or Kate and her mom, went, mm-hmm. uh, Kate and Kathy went downstairs and they were grilling and they brought the chicken up and it was burned like flesh. Like, it's fle- chicken right. is flesh, you know? Right, right. And it's burned and like, and I remember like Kathy saying, Matt, are you okay? It was like I was gone for a few minutes, right? And I was looking at it, but I was thinking about a helicopter crash and I remember those guys in the crash because I'm looking at that. And I could, you know, here we are at this beautiful like the aroma of chicken mm-hmm. and all this other food. But I'm smelling that back there. Wow. And it's just from like looking at this and thinking about that, and I was I had to get up and leave the table. And I came back and we ate. Um but and that was fresh. I mean that was like a couple of months after right. I'd come back from Afghanistan. And um you know, we, we there is a reason <clears throat> that a lot of vets don't tell their stories, especially after Vietnam. And I think if you were live in America mm-hmm. Through the Vietnam War, you know, if you were an adult during the Vietnam War, especially, you, you might have just a touch of traumatic, post-traumatic stress from that. Mm-hmm. Just like look what happened to our nation—people are screaming at each other, hating each other—and and we're at a war when nobody knows why. Right. Like, they're, they're, like you, know, you watch, like they got hours of this stuff. Yeah, it's just like being uh, Afghanistan right now. Nobody. You, you, can, you could ask 50 officials, and they'll all tell you something different. Yep. And it's... Um, if and you ever get you, an answer, I'd like to know. Well, I, well, I think everybody will. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll be calling CNN, and, uh, CNN it, and Fox at the same time. Hey, I, heard it, I heard
0: the other day it's the longest war we've ever been in.
1: It is. 17 years. Eight, 18. 18 years. Mm-hmm. And what's strange is now we have children walking where their parents walk. You know, the people That's that join the military are less than one percent, and we're most of us <laughs> don't have like slush funds available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not like I, I'm still struggling with student loans. That's am still over mm-hmm. it's well over fifty thousand dollars, and we don't have opportunities, so we go there. That's why we joined the military, and I did it because my dad did it, and his dad did it, and his right. dad did it. Right. It's like a family thing. Like we've served this nation, and um, and thankfully, like my brother was like. I'm not going to do it, but but my brother has served in a sense. He's Merchant Marines, done right. all kinds of stuff. Right. Right. Um, but not. Mil- I'm glad my brother didn't get in the military. I'm kind of glad you didn't go in the military.
0: I, I um, looked into it. I looked into going into the Air Force, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what I don't remember what made me change my mind, um, but it might have been Monica. Um, but you know, I look at it as I think it's a I think it's a great career.
1: Oh, it is. You know what I mean? Well, it was a great opportunity for me. I didn't yeah. have anything else.
0: Yeah. But I sure as hell wouldn't have wanted to go to war. Oh, and no. That, and I mean, you know, uh, we've known some people that, you know, that were rangers when we lived in Columbus, Georgia. And I'll never forget Monica and I talking about it one day. And she goes, well, those guys, <laughs> we went into a uh, hail and farewell or yeah, is that what it's called?
1: called? Hail and farewell.
0: And the guy that... uh We went into his house. He was a captain, so he had a really nice house. And so I remember walking in there, and here's all these badass rangers, and I come walking in with Monica, you know. And uh, they go, "Well, what do you do, Chris?" I'm like, "I sell I I sell uh, glass blown ornaments, licensed product (laughs) gifts." (laughs) And they're like, "Would you like to buy some?" They're like. Good meeting you. you know <laughs> It's hard. <laughs> no, it's really no, tough. No, no but Monica, Monica was saying, she goes, well, why are those guys? I said, well, Monica, think about it like this. You've been trained your entire life to be a soldier and to go out on a mission. And you've been held back because maybe we didn't have a war going on or whatever it might be. That'd be like me being trained to be a salesman for 15 years and never gotten to go sell the toughest people that I want to sell. I'd be frustrated, and I'd be upset, but, you know, these guys are a special breed of person, mm-hmm. right? And their patriotism is off the chart. It's phenomenal. And thank God we got them, because, you know, people like me that didn't serve, I thank God every day that we have uh, the military and the guys that we, men and women in the military that we do. Well,
1: what I would mm-hmm. say, too, when you were standing with those Rangers, they're just like, you know anybody in military in service is one per, less than one percent. Right. Well, in the army, the Rangers are less than one percent. So right. like they these group of guys that are like, hey, we got a problem. You got to go in there first. Yeah. And what's really special about that is they're the ones that are like, well, we'll make the first sacrifice. Yeah. Not, right. and it's it's different. They're not we're the badasses. Yep. Deep down inside, they're the guys that know that we're, they're going to make the first sacrifice. Yeah, the first loss is coming from them. And They're, they're heavy, going to go man. out there first. It's, it's huge. Every, I mean, I, I was, you know, like, I, I have so much respect for the ranger community. I've done a lot with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great. They're incredible individuals. In fact, a, a lot of this right here is happening because of rangers. Mm-hmm. And um, my best friend was a ranger. And and it's like, it's a Eric Gardner. He writes the 13th Legion stuff. He's a ranger. Yeah. I was over at his house one day. <laughs> It's filled. It's filled a glass of wine, right? He goes, "I get a T-shirt, you know." I come back and he throws me this, t- this Ranger T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "I ain't wearing that, man." <laughs> I slipped it back because I was still in the military. Yeah, right. You know, and even now, I, I would be very. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Because like he earned that, I didn't earn that. In fact, I had a ticket punched to go. We were at this party, and the division chaplain was there. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, who, which one of you guys would like to go to Ranger School? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going, baby. Here it is. Because I'm a chaplain. They're going to let me through because I'm colorblind. You yeah. know, because you know, I'm just thinking <laughs> it's the back of my mind. And my dearly beloved wife from across the room says, What about your knees? <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> and, That's and awesome. And, and uh, Chapman Cossie says, he's division chaplain one time, he says, What about your knees? I What? He had two ACLs replaced, one one in each leg. And yeah. He's like, "You're not going you're to run injuries. You're going to running, you're gonna embarrass us." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, boy, I came close, but <laughs> but they'd find out sooner or later because it's all in my charts, So, okay just stop. Once again, some sometimes love it did. It saved me the whole idea of getting all the way up there and going through pre-ranger and then finding out. And then I threw out my back in Afghanistan anyway, so you know. Right. Who knows? Well, um well we've talked for an hour and seventeen minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It just flies. Uh Chris, anything you'd like to say to vet church? I mean I I know I know what vet church has meant to you. No. Yeah. You call, you called me up one day and said, I just went to church. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a very convenient church to go to. Um, and the only thing I could say to the vet church community is uh, what Matt and Kate are sacrificing um, of themselves to go out and, and try to heal people, touch people. Um, you know, they never asked for anything, never asked me for anything in my life. You know, any way uh, through support, through verbalization or monetarily any support that you could give them, um, I know that they'd really appreciate it. I want their work to continue to, to go forward, and I know they do too, and um, I think what he's doing is something that's been needed to be done for a long time, and I hope it's helping you guys out there to understand that we're not perfect. We don't have to hold ourselves to a higher level. We are who we are We're people, and when you're hurting, you got pain, find somebody like Matt or Kate to talk to and hopefully uh um you'll be able to to get over that pain and that hurt. We don't want to lose you it's too no. important to the to the to the, the, the country to the world yeah to have you out there
1: well and i think i think the thing is too that here's the hope um you said a phrase get over it I don't know where ever get over it i'm 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 not resigned to having p t s d like oh, I've got." Because it's not a disorder. It's post-traumatic stress. Right. I'm not... I don't have this idea that it's ever going to get better. But here's what I have an idea of. Mm -hmm. I learn every day to live better. Every day I, I, I get everything I can out of that day. And every moment that I'm able to, I'm intentional about having fun, thinking about things. Questioning and then stepping away too. Right. And trying to care for other people because when I got off my ass and started helping other folks yeah. help each other, yeah. it was a whole lot different. It wasn't just Matt helping them. It was Matt helping them help others. And then I had purpose and value again. Yep. And when I was just sitting at the house, and you know, and after I got off the pills, I told you this, I I, I was offered a really nice job. Yep. I mean, I, I could have bought that portion. Yep. And, um, the thought hit me, I could I could have this nice job, I could pay off my student loans, I could move to a better house, I could get that Well, but, you,
0: but I remember you telling me that's not, that wasn't what you were here to do.
1: No, I, not, I don't think it's here what any of us are supposed to do. No. I think all our wealth is supposed to have good parties, care for one another, and, and when we're done, my, my Dan Kelly, and I don't know if you're on here now, Dan Kelly, but he says something like, at the end, on that little... Plate on the end I wanted to say here lies Dan all used up gave it all
0: gave it all well.
1: you know I mean that's um, you know and sometimes I do I've, I've told Kate I said mean, you know it'd be nice when money's all gone we can't make the repairs on the vehicles I'm just gonna go home smoke or uh, use my medical marijuana oil in the state of Florida <laughs> yeah. enjoy that little card go fishing sit yep. on a back porch. Maybe just move down there by my brother's land, you know, like right on the ICW. Yep. And then this voice in my head says, there's 22 a day dying. Don't be a dumbass. At least get out there and let people know, sing the songs you sing, care for people, play music. So I'm, I'm going to do it as long as I can. I hope you do, buddy. Yeah, we'll man. be there for you. Hey, thanks for doing this interview with you. I love you, man. I love you too, man. Um, Vet Church, remember, question things, think, have some fun, care for one another. All right, we'll talk to you all later. Thank you for joining
0: us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at
1: vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.